You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast. Our guest is Bill Prater. Bill is the founder of Business Mastery and Scaleology, and Bill works with entrepreneurs at all stages of the game on how they can scale their business and they want to really break through to what they know they are capable of doing. You're going to love hearing his perspective on the price of leadership. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and speak with leaders from around the world on what it took them to pay the price of the leadership. And today, I'm so excited because my guest is Bill Prater, and he is the founder of Business Mastery and Scaleology. So Bill earned his reputation as America's business alchemist by helping business owners and entrepreneurs break free of inertia and accelerate into the future they dream of. That's why they're listening today, Bill, so this is going to be awesome. He loves nothing better than sharing what he has learned by working with those who are dissatisfied with the status quo and eager to transform themselves and their businesses. Bill, I am so looking forward to this. You have said the words that every entrepreneur loves to hear. The status quo has got to go. How do I break free? So thank you so much for blessing us with your presence. You are very welcome. And I am super, super pumped to be here with you, Tracy. Thanks so much. Okay, well, let's get right down into it. So, Bill, my father loved leadership, and he was very pragmatic. He's like, you're going to have to fight the fight. It's worth it, but it's a lot of times it's really tough. But he wanted leaders to be prepared for some of the inevitable, tougher stuff that were going to come their way. And I love that. It was almost like he just lets you know, don't fold. This is par for the course. And so, one of his most well-known speeches was called The Price of Leadership. And he unpacks four prices that the leader has to pay if they were truly engaging in leadership. And every leader has their own experience. You know as well as I do, because you work with a lot of different business owners, that leadership, entrepreneurship, business is very contextualized. But one of the ones, the first one he brings out is loneliness. And we've all heard that, what's lonely at the top, or I don't want to be the boss because there go my drinking buddies. You know, you've heard it all before. But can you unpack for me, Bill, with what, even what, what you've seen with some of the entrepreneurs you've helped, or as you became an expert in your field, what did loneliness as a leader look like for you? maybe some experience and what would you do to encourage other leaders that may be in that season of loneliness right now? That's a, that's a beautiful question. And I like the way you framed it. Thank you. And it is correct that I do live a little bit vicariously through my clients. So I've got my own experiences and then I've got theirs, you know, that kind of pile them on. And uh, for me, thinking about my, if you will, growth through the business community, I went, like most people, from being an employee, then a couple of promotions in a corporate environment, and finally, I owned my own business. So that was fantastic. Yes. All alone. Went from all kinds of buddies to all alone. I remember that being quite a shock. And I think probably in looking back, the feeling that I had early on, what it was, my first business was an investment banking business. Prior to that, I had seven other partners in another financially oriented company, but I went from my, to my own investment bank. Okay. And all of a sudden, I was without any peers. Okay. And that's really the most interesting thing, is that 
when I was partners with other people, it was a private company, but I had people that were my peers. In other words, I could talk to them about whatever the world was going on in my mind. But when I had my company, and we immediately, I immediately had employees that I really had quite a few things I didn't want to talk to them about or didn't feel comfortable talking to them about. So that was really what it was, is what I'll call didn't have any peers anymore. Interesting. I've never heard it said like that, but that is a difficult transition. And I'm sure for most of us listening have gone from being in bureaucracies, but what bureaucracies had that, that where they may have fallen down in other areas was a lot of camaraderie and a lot of fun and a lot of, you know, there was a lot of nonsense and but there was also a lot of fun. I mean, when I look, reflect back in the military and my war stories or when I was in Fortune 100 companies, it was, it, that's what you remember, the people. But I love that you said that with no peers. So what do you do then? You need, I love how you said that, somebody to unpack what's going on inside your head. What would you recommend to solopreneurs or people that really, without a peer, you may have other people, but you hit it. You don't want to burden your employees. It's like telling your kids everything going on in your marriage. That's not right to do. What would you recommend for them? For them, meaning people like just like myself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, uh, so what I definitely would recommend is to take off your cape, remember that we're not superheroes, yes. and we don't have to do it all. If yeah. you, you think you have to, so step one, Tracy, is being able and willing, and more than that, I think, understanding that you've absolutely got to surround yourself with people that are better than you are at a variety of things. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be super successful, people that are better than, than you are about everything. Right. So I was very fortunate that I quickly understood the value of having what I'll call A players so that they were able to fundamentally relieve me of my, if you will, need to do it all. So that was you know, kind of part one. Mm-hmm. Part two is because you're not going to find them within your own organization. You need to find some place else to find, if you will, people you can talk to, if you will, yes. peers. So yes. where are those peers? And they're in a variety of places, but the key is to make sure that they really are peers. Yes. Okay. Can you unpack that? Because we yeah, hear an I awful lot about peer groups. Uh, yeah. Many of us listening have paid a lot of money for peer groups that have been to grow our businesses, only be in them for years and really, and I'm not putting that on them, but I'm just saying, can you unpack them when, when you say, make sure they are your peers? Well, so I know you're going to ask me later about visioning. Yes. And so my concept of having a vision is to project yourself forward in time and space Mm -hmm. so that you're in a, if you will, a a different place and a better place, a a place that's more grand, if you will. So what I meant by make sure that you find the right set of peers, I'm a big believer in pretending that you belong in the group before you actually do. I love it. So by that, I mean, given that you want to be a billionaire, that was part of your vision, and you're not there yet, 
the peers you want to be with are other people that are billionaires. Okay. Now, that's not you around because you're a pipsqueak, if you will. So you've got to kind of inch your way there. But I think the key is to always be in a peer group, either one that you put together or somebody else puts together on your behalf or on your and other people's behalf. But to the extent that you possibly can, get in a group that's... Uh, so if you're in kindergarten, try to get in the second or third grade. Is I love I'm that. That's awesome. And I just joined one and these people are way above me. And it is intimidating. I mean, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, what have I done? What have I done? And it's like, no, 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 because they did the same thing. They looked up or tagged along or made the call and said, hey, show me, teach me, I'll absorb it. So I love that. That's awesome. So you talked a little bit about that when you were covering loneliness, that do it on, take off your cape. And Bill, that goes into the next point my dad talked about was weariness. And it's tiring. I mean, there are days where I go to bed, I'm tired, I sleep well, but I'm still tired. Like my voice, this is the fourth interview. I have one more tonight. Even my vocal cords are tired. I know that means I'm speaking wrong, but how do you stay replenished and how do you stay at the top of your game as a leader? Two questions at once. Well, so... I'll give you a case study. Case study was that I talked to a client of mine a couple of hours ago, and he was saying that one of his senior managers was defending herself. Her team wasn't performing very high. She was defending herself by saying, Kevin, I work so hard. I work my tail off. I have to stay late. I have to work weekends. And I said, Kevin, what did you say? He said, well, I said, Bill, what you told me to say. (laughs) And that is, that is a red light. Whenever you find that you're actually working long, working hard, getting tired, those are signals that you're not doing what you should be doing, uh, which is to divest yourself of literally everything. Mm -hmm. And certainly the things that you're not good at, you normally, Tracy, and you know this because you've, I know because before we got live, you said this, if you're able to spend your time doing things that you love to do, in my case, mentoring business owners and their senior teams on rapidly scaling their business. I love to do that. Is it hard work? Well, maybe, but it gives me energy as opposed right. to take it. Right. So if you're in an environment where you're not doing something that you love and that you're good at, it will drain your energy. And when that happens, you're in the wrong spot. That's beautiful. And you know what I'm, it's like dad would say, uh, there's miserable, miserable and happy, miserable. Okay. I'm not me where I want to be, but I still get up at seven, like, and I dream about getting orders out because I'm like, but this is where it's supposed to be happening. So yeah. Yeah. And it is, if you are feeling that other drain where you're kind of exhausted, that is great. That is a red flag. Something's not all work is always the greatest thing in the world, but it should give you a purpose and you should feel like I'm making a difference or you may need to look elsewhere kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So I think summarizing what we just now talked about. So all of us will get weary, worn out and tired. So that's going to happen. And it's a good thing because it does then give you a signal back that says, this is the wrong space for me. I'm doing something I'm not that good at, or I'm doing something I don't really love. But you know what? great about human beings is what you may hate somebody else absolutely loves. You just got to find those folks. Right. You do you. 
and play to your strengths. I love that. Yeah. And that's good. I mean, and that's a signal. And sometimes if you get completely in the wrong career field, everybody else will be digging it, but you're maybe coded for something different. So boy, man, Bill, that's gold. I love it. Excellent. Okay. So loneliness, weariness. And now my dad talked about abandonment. And it wasn't like the negative abandonment, like walking out on something or something. But he said that when you really dial into leadership, you're going to have to stop thinking about what you like and want to focus on in favor of what you need and ought to focus on. So kind of more of this delimited kind of hyper-focus so you can keep people moving to that preferred vision and not pulled off by us entrepreneurs love looking at every bright, shiny object that comes across our But Hey, you know what corporate America does too? Every time somebody would come back from a meeting, now we're going to do this. Even in the military, Military. Well, we're rolling out this initiative and it's like, okay, okay, always something new. And then we knew six months from now, it wouldn't be doing it anymore. So how do you really stay focused and abandoned so you can stay on what you're supposed to be doing? So we talked a little bit earlier about finding the right peer group mm-hmm. that would be two or three grade levels above you. Great. Yes. When you move to that group, the people that you leave behind will feel abandoned by you. Uh Uh-huh, that's true. They'll do their best to tell you not to go. They'll say, Tracy, you shouldn't go join that group. That group group is way over your head. They're trying to keep you back because they love you the way you are. So the flip side of that is that you're going to feel as you move towards your vision that you're being abandoned by your if you will, old peer group, which could include, in my case, did my family, not my children, (laughs) but my siblings and so forth, because they felt that I should be the way I was. See, I worked for a fantastic company and they thought that was the end all, the end all. Like in your case, wow, you're with the military. How could you ever leave? What a great place to be. And so in my case, that would be a company called IBM. How could you leave IBM? It's the greatest place to be. And so that is, again, I look on these kinds of, your dad was a genius about this, about naming these four things, because I'm a big believer in emotional signals. So if you're feeling this abandonment emotion, that's a good thing normally, because that means that you're moving from comfortable to uncomfortable. Mm. So we need to be aware of people won't want you to go. But if you're going to follow your dream, you best keep going forward. And then you yourself will feel the same. You'll feel like you've been abandoned. Actually, you haven't been. You've been accepted by this next group, the third graders, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had this one book, uh, Journal of a Climber, and it talks about that. You have to leave Mount Majority, and very few people do. And they're going to be like, don't go, don't go. It's fun here. You're going to have to actually walk away from them, leave a lot of the stuff before and get ready to start climbing. And that visual always stuck with me that they love you, but the true people will love you no matter what you morph into. And then, like you said, then you got your third graders up here that are waiting for you to move forward. But that's important for leaders to understand that point you just brought up. Yes, I, it is. It is. And how'd you handle that with family? Because that, that's tough. I mean, being in a family-run second-generation business, that's different. I mean, I never really much minded if you weren't family what you said to me. Yeah, okay. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But when it's family, that's a whole different dynamic. How'd you deal with that? Well, it's a bit of segmentation. So by that, I mean that your move to this new space, you know, what were you? 
talking about now is business oriented. So you're moving from a job to a different job or from your current town to a different town with a different job, et cetera. So I believe in segmentation, meaning that you're not leaving your family from the love and the family relationships, all that sort of thing. You've just simply changed your uniform. Love it. And out of the first three that we talked about, as you're working with companies and leaders that want to scale, what seems to be the one that people have the most struggle with? And before we get to vision, because I'm thinking about, because these are all things, like you said, that take you out of your comfort zone. So you've got this case study because you talk to all these different people. Has one really, is there one that sticks out or do people kind of land on, I don't like being alone or I don't want to abandon, it's uncomfortable, it's too uncomfortable. What do they seem to have the most, I know you get them to their breakthrough, but where do the people struggle the most in getting to their breakthrough? Well, generally speaking, Different people, of course, have different sorts of struggles. But in but most of the time, what I see people doing, by people, I mean business owners and entrepreneurs. Okay. Now, there are leaders, many leaders that are not business owners and entrepreneurs, but mm-hmm. that's where I focus is on these. And what it is, is there's a lot of pressure. For example, if you, uh, for example, own a retail store, and you're selling some service. Well, there's sort of the industry standard or the or the way it's done. And so if you're going to become, if you will, the finest, uh, the elite or the market leader, you can't get there by doing what the rest of the industry does. Mm. The okay. rest of the industry is ordinary and average. That's what industry standards mean. And so the hardest thing for people to do is to understand and believe in their heart that they've got to leave their industry behind if you're going to be the best in the city. So if you're going to be number one, you have the number one salon in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you're going to be different by definition than everybody else that's part of the crowd, if that makes sense. So that's the hardest transition to make is to understand that you cannot just keep doing the same thing everybody else does harder because that'll get you weary. Right, right. You can't do that sort of thing. So you've got to say, all right, I know I've got to do it differently. If you look back at some of the super successful people like Oprah, for example, well, she didn't do it all like everybody else in that mm-hmm. industry of hers. She did it entirely differently. Had huge criticism at the beginning of her career. Probably still does today. But And same thing, but happened to like a Richard Branson. What a kook, right? right. How could he possibly believe he could be profitable in airlines? Uh-huh. That's crazy. Nobody's profitable in airlines. But he had to do it differently, right, Tracy? So that's really it. The biggest anchor is believing in the crowd. You called it the mountain or something? Mount majority. Mount majority, yeah, Yeah. beautiful. Yeah, wow. Okay, so then what you're saying, it goes on to the last point, which is vision. And so do you find, and I'll let you define vision in your own terms, but is that kind of what you're talking about? Do you help them really hone their vision and then they get so tightly focused they can really see where they need to go and the rest they don't have to deal with? Is that kind of where vision plays into it? 
Yes. So first off, vision could be somebody that's smoking some kind of funny weed, right? Yeah. And then they have a vision. Yeah. Right. So what we're talking about is projecting into the future. Yeah. So yeah. it's a vision like that. A lot of people, for example, the industry norm would say you need something like a vision statement. Right. That's a statement is a sentence. That's not a vision in the way you and I are talking about it. So a vision is a destination. And a lot of people think that they can't do that because they will look around, if you will, their circumstances. What I call it is one of the foundational principles of scaleology, the, the model that I have. And that is that people are taught to play with the hand they get dealt. So, you know, I'm thinking about cards here, but think I've been dealt this hand mm-hmm. and therefore I'm in this box that I have. For example, hmm. somebody dealt me with this pandemic crisis. Right. Well, now that we've seen corporations, earning reports come out, industry to industry to industry, they're not all in trouble. Many are thriving enormously. Yep. And so I have a client happens to be my son, his business he deals in the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. So people might say, well, that industry is really hurting. Mm-hmm. But with the way my son positioned his business is he's of strategic value to his client. So they raised, uh, increased his contract and, and raised his rate so he wouldn't go someplace else, etc. All of that's part of having a vision of the future. And a lot of people say, I can't do that. Well, one is they feel constrained by their environment. They got to get that out of the way. And instead, a vision needs to be constraint free. No constraints. Don't worry about what city you're in, how much capital you have, what your current personal skills are. Don't worry about the employees that you have. Don't worry about any of that sort of thing. Just have this dream, a vision of the future. And people say to me, well, how do you do that? And I say, well, you just have to think like a kindergartner because they have no restrictions, no barriers. Right. There's no right. lack of resources. They just dream big. So right. step one is to dream big. And the result of doing that will be that a lot of people think you're cookie, strange and, and so forth. And so what will they do? They'll stay away. Exactly what you want. Want people that don't believe in you. Oh to my be around. gosh. You got that. Yes. Isn't that the truth? And so this the more powerful your vision is, the more likely you'll attract the people that want to play that game and they'll reject the people, they'll self-reject. They'll stay away from you because they don't believe in it. So yes. that's the way I believe in vision. So forget about the industry standards. Instead, invent your own future. Okay. All of the super successful people, super successful, have had outrageous visions. I love it. Outrageous. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you said, then you attract, attract your Yeah, I look at, I get pitch book and some of these VC emails and stuff and see what's going on in the financial industry. Trust me, there's so much money going on out there and being built and bought and traded. And that was really good for me to see during the whole shutdown because everybody's like, it's over. Everybody's dead. No, no, somebody's buying somebody else for 44 billion. Don't tell me it's dead. There's tons of stuff. And these people, they don't let something like this shut them down. They're like, no, the future is 
and the beauty of it is the more you do it, Bill, I think you would agree, then as leaders, because you will constantly be getting thrown these, I mean, leadership is easy if everything goes right. You don't really need a leader because everybody just does what they're, what they're supposed to do. But as you get really good at handling these crises, you realize they're clarion calls, they're clarifying, and they prune off what you don't need to be focused on anymore. I, I, that's what I think when you got the right advocates. But I love that you said that the right people will be attracted to your vision, who you need, and the rest stay away. Well said. Excellent. All right. Well, Bill, we covered the four prices of leadership. Is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with that you would like to share with them that you've heard a lot? Or as far as I know, you've got the scaleology thing, and that's what every entrepreneur wants to hear. I'd love to scale. If I could just scale, you know, that signifies growth and profitability. Anything else you want to share with us? Well, so a lot of people think somehow or another they get in their, in their mind that, that leadership is something that you're born with. Mm-hmm. And actually, no, leadership is a skill that you can learn. Now, it's true. Some people are much better at the skill than other people. Correct. Some people are much better at swimming a skill than other people. Much better people are better at running a business, a skill than other people. But leadership is a learned skill. And then number one. And number two is that I think of leadership in three kind of three categories, Tracy. One is what I'll call situational, meaning that leaders can demonstrate their capabilities because of a situation. For example, I spent most of my life in Seattle. We had earthquakes. Well, an earthquake is a situation. And out of that situation emerge leaders who can figure out how to deal with that problem. They don't have to be the owner. They don't have to be the entrepreneur. They can be anybody in the business. Mm-hmm. So as you're, as you're recruiting your team, recruit people that's got, who've got this skill called leadership. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean they have to run the business, but it does mean that if somebody backs their car in through your front door, that you'd like to have somebody go take care of that as opposed to come to you and say, Tracy, somebody backed their car in the front door. Okay. Number two is what I'll call organizational leaderships. And those are people that are put in leadership positions because of their organization. They've been, if you will, promoted to be sales manager or promoted to be head of SEO or promoted to figure out how to run a new sales funnel. So those are organizational leaders. They've been put in these spots and, and if they've got the skill or they can learn the skill, they'll do well. If they can't, they're going to leave room for somebody else. And then the third one is what I call elective leadership. And that is you, Tracy, and me, and most of the people that are listening to us. And those are people who have decided to own their own business, to be an entrepreneur, to buy a business and run the business, to be willing to say, hey, mom, I'm willing to take over the family business. Those are people that have elected to get in a position where leadership is a requirement. And so I think of, so number one, I think of leadership in those three buckets from a business standpoint. Now, if we're going to play Little League Baseball, we need leaders too. But from our purposes today, we're talking about business leadership, three categories. I love Uh, it. So emergent, organizational, and elective. Love it. Love it. All right. So Bill, where can people reach out and contact you? Well, first, we talked a lot about, a little bit, teeny bit, about scaleology. And so scaleology is designed to help the kind of people where you and I are talking about. And those are people that are tired of the status quo and they want to change their organization or their business from ordinary to extraordinary. Uh And if they're there already, they want to become preeminent. 
And if they've got a preeminent company, they want to be the master of the market. Now, so that's what Scalology is all about. And so the best way to get that book was because it's not yet published, so they'll get a PDF for free oh, by going to getbillsnewbook.com. Getbillsnewbook.com. We'll yeah, and that'll get the Scalology book to them, and then they'll know a lot about vision, a lot about not dealing with the hand that you get, a lot about using a system of management. And that's probably my the last thing I'd like to say is that a lot of people somehow or another believe that they should run their business with a if you will, a whack-a-mole technique. And if something shows up like a prospect, deal with that. Something shows up like a problem, deal with that. Something shows up like an opportunity, deal with that. No, that's a whack-a-mole system or a methodology. And instead, let's use a management system of some, just like we have a system of bringing, converting leads to prospects. Just like we have a system for invoicing. Let's yeah. have a system for managing our business. That'll reduce a lot of the need for the kinds of leadership we talked about. Today. Right. I love that. And I love when people give me a frame or a diagnosis, something to work off of because it's leadership. People are like, well, it's more art than science. Oh, maybe, but it's a lot of science too. And like you said, the systems can really help people rather than just, uh, we don't know. It's the first first business I've run. Now, when does the book actually formally come out? I know we can get the PDF. Do you have a, a release date for that yet? Right. So, yeah. Uh, so it's it's not exactly a rough draft, but it needs some editing now. And I've got a friend, uh, I've got a friend, Tracy, who's literally sold nearly five over. 500 million books. And so I've got his editor helping me and I'm not sure if he's helping me or hurting me. Now, so anyway, one more thing, and that is that once a month I do a live demonstration of this whole scaleology leadership model. Once a month I do that. And if people want to go there, it's a demonstration, there's nothing for sale at all. It's just simply webinarwithbill.com, webinarwithbill.com, and they'll be able to jump on one of those two live demonstrations. Okay. It happens to be it happens to be the first Wednesday of every month. First okay, Wednesday. Good. And we'll put that link down there in case people are working out or driving, don't have a place to write this down. And then Bill, do you work primarily, if somebody wanted to work with you, do you work with senior teams, individuals, one-on-one, all of the above? Uh, you know, if somebody's thinking, I always get this, I wonder if Bill would work with me kind of thing. Who's your kind of your uh, idea? The answer, the answer is really all of the above. Okay. So a lot of people will, Tracy will look at me and they'll say, gee, uh, some of those companies that you work with are have international brands. And that's true. But they are, one, private companies, and two, I've worked with some of these people for a long time. But yes, it, it ranges from solepreneurs with under, if you will, under $100,000 of revenue up to people that have over a billion dollars of revenue. What we're talking about here has got nothing at all to do with industries or niches, doesn't have anything to do with size, doesn't have anything to do with any of those kinds of things. It's universally applicable. So that's what's nice about it. Once you've got these concepts internalized personally and then your team, if you will, good to go. I love hearing that, Bill, because the best truths are timeless and they work for everybody. I don't care if you were the first person on earth or you're going to be the last person on earth. There's certain timeless truths and systems that just, there's laws of the universe that just, it's how stuff works. And I love that. So, well, thank you, Bill, so much. And just for your insights and thank 
thank you for being a part of our interview. It's been a pleasure listening to your insights. And, and I really want to check out your first webinar because Lord willing, someday I'll get big enough to scale. And so I look forward to learning from you because I know I can learn a lot from you. Thank you, Tracy. I've enjoyed being here with you today. Thanks, Bill. And to our tremendous team out there, thanks so much. If you like what you heard, be sure and hit the subscribe button. Also do us the honor of a rating and leave us a comment. We answer all our comments that you see wherever you're on Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, iTunes, wherever. And please check out the links below where you can find out, get in touch with Bill, get in touch with this webinar and find more about how you can scale your business. Thanks again, everybody for tuning in. Have a tremendous rest of the week. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.